This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay. This week, big Pasha. Big Pasha, the Pasha of the brothers selling Yosef, the Pasha of Yosef in Mitzrayim, the Pasha of Yehuda and Tamar. But we have to first connect to last week's Pasha. Last week's Pasha, we spoke about the big C word. Who remembers what the C word is? Consequence. Consequence. All right, one guy was listening. So, the big C word, consequence, the difference between being mature and being immature is realizing that every action has a reaction and everything that you do in this world has a reaction. So, what saved Yosef HaTzadik this week was understanding consequence, which we will get to, we met Hashem very soon. But before we get to that, before we get to that, we're going to talk about one of the things that we use to realize that there is consequence in the world. And that is das. Das, knowledge. Knowledge, if we use our brains, which I think at the end of life they tell you your whole life, you used about 20% of your brain, something like that. And that's if you really were a thinker. Um, it's not something that we use a lot, but it's something that we we need to use. I want to tell you, it says like this. There's a missionary Pekayavos that says, Basara Ma'amaroi Nivra Ha'ilam. Ten utterances. Ten times it says in Bereshit, when Hashem created the world, the word Vayomer. By the way, I've never given this share before for all those who want to go to sleep. If you go to sleep, you're missing one you haven't heard yet. But, you can hear it on Kalalashan. Over and over, you can watch it, once Shabbos, so, if you're very tired, you can go to sleep. Anyway, it says, Vayomer, Elohim Yehiyar, Vayiyar, that's one. By each, by each, Elohim that's two. So Hashem created the world with ten utterances. Ten times He said, Vayomer. So ask the Mishnah, why does the Torah have to tell us Ten times the, the, the word Vayomer. God could have created the world in one shot. One day the sun. One day the animals. One day he split the waters. One day Shemaim Baretz. Come on, you're God. One shot, boom. Hit enter. You know, hit that button, enter on the computer. And the world's here. What's with one day this, one day that, one day this? So the Mishnah's asking... God could have created the world with one utterance. World. That's it. The whole world would have been here. All of us guys, everything would have been here. Why do you have to do it like this? In order to pay back, to punish the evil. Because the evil people destroy a world that was created with ten steps. So if there's ten steps, right? And you destroy something that took ten steps, so you destroy something much bigger than one step. So therefore, Hashem wants to punish the bad people, so he did it in ten steps. That's what the Mishnah says. But Hashem wanted to give reward to the Tzadikim. They keep the world going. That was created in ten steps. So just like the punishment for the person who destroys something that's created in ten steps is larger than someone who creates something in one step, the reward is also greater. 
So you're all thinking in your heads that that doesn't make any sense at all. Because the bottom line is that if it's a world and you pushed enter on your computer and a whole world was created and you destroy that world, isn't that the same as if you pushed enter ten times and you destroyed the world? Bottom line. Saif Dova, bottom line, the world's destroyed with everything in it. So what's this Mishnah's answer? question is a beautiful question. Why does Hashem have to have ten utterances, so to say? But the answer doesn't make any sense. What's the difference? Bottom line is, whether you do it with one utterance, you do it with ten utterance, you're destroying the world. So, we're, we're going to answer that question. I never quoted Mishle. Mishle was written, actually not this year anyway, not that I remember. Mishle was written by, who knows? Shlomo HaMelech. Shlomo HaMelech wrote Shir Hashirim, Kahelas, and Mishle. Some people say he wrote Shir Hashirim when he was very young. That's why it's a beautiful love song. And he was very positive, potential. Mishle is a mixture. And then Kahelas, when he got older already, he said, I see already what life's all about. Everything's a waste of time. Chachma's a waste of time. Money's a waste of time. I looked for a thousand women. I couldn't find one good one. He went through his whole history. He went back. And he really, you know, Kahelas is very tough. And uh, different parts of his life. So imagine if I was giving a share when I was 20, you guys would have a good time, but you caught me now already at this age. That's why I hammer you all the time, because, you know, at 50 already, I see already that, you know, being a Yankee fan and a Giant fan didn't get me anywhere. <laughs> so, you know, so that's why I yell about it. Guys like, how, how can you yell about it? Because I'm 50 and you're 20, so. So it takes time to see things, and that's knowledge, das, which we'll talk about. So, Shlomo Melch, this is in his middle years. So he says something very interesting. He says, like this. He says, Through wisdom, Through wisdom, a house is built. And through understanding, it's established. And with knowledge, You will fill up rooms. And what will these rooms be filled with? With precious and pleasant riches. How does one fill up a room with knowledge? How do you fill up a room with knowledge? And if you do fill up a room with knowledge, that's probably a library room. Where do you have beautiful, precious things in that room? So what does Shlomo HaMelech, we're going to answer, of course, all the questions with one, one answer. What does Shlomo HaMelech mean when he says that you can fill up a room with knowledge? There's a Gemara in Brachis, and the Gemara says the following. Gidola Dea, knowledge is great. Shinasna ben Shnei Oisiais. That knowledge was placed between two words, two letters. What are those, what are those words? So there is a Pasik that says, Kol Deois Hashem. No, Kale Deos Hashem. Kale, one of God's names on one side. The word Dea, knowledge is in the middle. And then Hashem's name is on the other side. So the word Dea is sandwiched between Knowledge is sandwiched between two names of God. So the Gemara says that knowledge must be something very huge, that it would be sandwiched between two names of God to the level, if you understand the deepness of the Gemara, that knowledge might be godly. Knowledge might be another name of God. You have Kel, and you have Hashem, and you have Deya in the middle. So what the Gemara is saying is, it's so huge that it's between two names of God, that maybe knowledge, which we're going to get to, is on a, is God. Is, is on a godly level. Okay, so what, 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 what's Rabbi Walsh? What are you talking about? What does that have to do with the shit, with the parsha? What does that have to do with anything? What are you talking about? So, I'm going to explain to you like this. 
There's a new word out there on the street. The word's called random. You know, ask a kid like, how did this happen? Hey man, it's just random. Just like, just happened. It's a big word today. It's a hippie word from the 60s, but they, you know, it hasn't been used for a long time. It's a new word. Many guys are like, yeah, it's just random, Rebbe. Just like a random thing. Just happened. Which is total apicarsis. Because that's, that's Asav. Randomness is Asav. We know everything was set into motion and Hashem set everything into motion. There's nothing random in the world. But it's the new word. It's random, man. It's just random, you know? So, that's the new word out there. Now, what, what the Mishnah in Pregriavos is telling us is like, is like this. God is not random. And if God would have just hit enter, so to say on the computer, and a world would have been created, then there would be people walking around saying, the world is random. It just, was like, God coughed. And out came a world. You know, instead of a fuzzball, it was a, a world came out with oceans and, you know, the cat coughs and fuzzball, God coughed the world. And there's probably some scientists out there that, you know, God coughed the world. Every time he coughs, there's another planet. And when he sneezes, there's like stars, you know. You got all these crazies walking around. So, so if Hashem created the world in one shot, people would say, hey, God's random, man. Like, just, it just, it just happened. So Hashem said, no, no. I'm going to create the world with ten. I'm going to build the world. And if you look how Hashem builds the world, he didn't have to build the world, but he's God, right? So he said, I want to teach the human being that there's no such thing as random. Voracious. There's a beginning. In the beginning. Something that's random has no beginning and no end. It just happened. So the first word in the Torah tells us, before anything, guys, there's nothing random. Everything in this world happens for a reason. Voracious. In the beginning. The beginning is already not random, right? So Hashem said, Ye are, and there was are. And Hashem saw that R was good. So then Hashem said, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to call one day and I'm going to call one night. I don't have to teach you the whole Bereshis. But if you go through the Bereshis, you see that once there was R, there was a sky. And once there was a sky, Hashem continued. And He made water and He split the water. And then there was a sun and a moon. And then He made bugs. And then He made trees. And then He made bugs. And then He made animals. Then He made humans. Nothing random. He built a world. He built a world. A good English word for that is symmetry. Everything was symmetrical. Everything fit into a box. Everything was placed in a certain place. And that's how Hashem created the world. And, and therefore, as much as I hate to say it, because I am not one that's very controlled in my eating, right? But I always believe that if you're learning Torah, you're doing mitzvahs, so, so you eat potato chips and corn chips the whole day, and you pop chocolate all day long, and you don't exercise, and you weigh 925 pounds, but you're not gonna die because you're doing the, you're doing mitzvahs and you're doing the right thing. That's random. That doesn't work. Because Rilko created a human, and a human has to drink a certain amount, and a human has to eat a certain amount, and a human has to exercise a certain amount, and a human has to sleep a certain amount. And the Rambam has halachas in how you go to the bathroom. And the Rambam has halachas that if you have to go to the bathroom, and you want to say a shir, and you want to learn Torah, and you want to kiss the Torah, you're not allowed to, you have to go to the bathroom, you're not allowed to hold it in. And if you hold it in, and you don't go to the bathroom when you have to, you're over there about the shaksu. You're over alive. What do you mean? I'm learning Torah, I should go to the bathroom. Talmud Torah, can I cool them? Learning Torah, it is, can I cool them? I gotta go to the bathroom. You don't go to the bathroom? Not only are you not allowed to learn Torah, you're doing an Avera. Why? Because Hashem didn't create a random world where you can step out of what He created and do whatever you want. There's a symmetry to the world. 
the human being has to eat, the human being has to sleep, the human being has to go to the bathroom. There's a certain symmetry to the world. And the greatest symmetry, how would you explain that word in English if someone doesn't understand? That everything fits, I guess. That everything fits together to make one, one picture. Balance. The balance. The greatest balance in the world is consequence. In other words, to upset the balance in the world, there's no consequence. I blow up the bridge. I didn't mean to kill anybody. I just blew up the bridge and there were 450 cars on the bridge. But, oh, there's a consequence to blowing up the bridge? That all those cars are going to fall into the water? So a person who doesn't live in that consequence world, right? So he's totally destroying everything, the symmetry of the world. So, HaKush Baruch Hu created a Torah, and in this Torah there are 613 mitzvahs, and that 613 mitzvah is the perfect symmetry for a human being to live in this world, together with nature, together with everything else. And, and therefore, this whole global warming, and I want you to know, that this, is, this is a share, this is not my share, this is from Rabbi, Rabbi Freifeld, Oliver Shalom. And he was talking 30 years, 20, 30 years ago, on this share that he's giving, he's talking about the, the effect on the world, on the ecology of the world, what the human being does. So this guy had a factory. I remember when I was they had a factory. They were they were they were there was some kind of factory with some kind of toxic waste that was right that was built right next to Niagara Falls, where the water goes into the whole water system, and and they they found they were dumping these barrels of toxic waste into the water, and it was affecting the fish were dying and affecting affecting the ecology, and and I was never an ecologist. I always thought that's Kenegara Taira. It's not Kenegara Taira because the person or people who don't think about the consequence of what we're doing. If you kill all the animals, then there's not going to be any animals. If you fish out all the fish, there's not going to be any fish. So, what do you mean? Hashem, you created the world. Push button fish. So we did all the fishing. So it's under the water. No one's going to know the miracle. God, push the button. We fished out the world. Push the button. There'll be another million fish. Wrong. Because created the world in ten steps. And one step leads into the other step. And if the human being destroys one of those steps, then the step after it, the consequence is that that is going to go totally out of its symmetry, totally out of where it's supposed to be, and all of a sudden you can have global warming, and you can have all kinds of situations of animals dying, you can have all kinds of situations. Why, Hashem, why did you let that happen? Because Hashem didn't create it with one just random act. He created the world with a symmetry. And therefore, in every person's life, every guy in this room, there's a certain symmetry to your life. When you step out, I, I don't want to go into the deepness, because I want to go to the, to the Yosef HaTzadik part of this year, but when you do an Avera, when you step out and you do that sin, you're stepping out of the symmetry of what you're supposed to be, and you are causing a randomness in your life. And therefore, when you throw that whole symmetry off, there's a consequence. There's a reaction. Avera, Guerreras Avera. One Avera causes another Avera. So you could say, listen, Rabbi, I go on the internet, and sometimes I go to the wrong place, but it's not such a bad place. Now, you stepped out of your box where you're supposed to be. So once you step out of your box, you're out of that symmetry. You're out of that, that 1 plus 1 equals 2, plus 1 equals 3, plus 1 equals 4, plus 1 equals 6. Once you step out, you pull 6 out, and 6 is not there anymore, and 5 plus 1 doesn't equal 6. If 5 plus 1 doesn't equal 6, right, then 7 minus 1 might not equal 6. Then your whole math and all your, your multiplications and your divisions are not going to work out anymore. And therefore, when a person doesn't have veil, when a person doesn't have sin, it throws his whole symmetry totally out. Till he does tshuva. When he does tshuva, he brings himself to become what? Shalem. 
What is Sholem? Sholem is the ten mamaris, the, the, when, when, when one thing is created on top of the other. And therefore, there's a, Sholem means perfect, full. So therefore, there's a certain symmetry. So if Hashem says, you can't talk to girls, and you're saying, but I could talk to girls, and it's not going to go anywhere from there. HaKash Baruch is telling you that the building of you is that if you, I created you. I created the human being. And the 613 parts of you. And if I'm telling you that you're going to talk to a girl that's going to end up somewhere else, you're stepping out of your symmetry. And when you step out of that symmetry, it becomes randomness. And when it becomes randomness, anything can happen. And that's the Yitzhahara. And that's exactly what I spoke about last week. That's the Yitzhahara, the fight with Yitzhahara and Yaakov Avinu. To take away his clarity. When one plus one doesn't equal two anymore, and you don't know what one plus one equals anymore, then your division, your multiplication, all your stuff doesn't work anymore. And this is what the Mishnah is telling us. Now, what does this have to do with what it says in Mishlei? So he says, he says, very, very, very fascinating. He says like this. Let me, let me give you a Neuwedika example of consequence, a very nice story, which I never said before. Listen carefully to this story. Because any one of us could be in this story. It's such a true story. So there's this big fat guy. Whatever that means to you. I think I'm fat, but okay. Anyway, this is a big fat guy, and he buys a ticket. He's flying to Israel. He's going to Israel. Continental. Right? 11 hours. Flying out of Newark. Buys a ticket, right? He comes late to the airport. He gets a seat. There's three seats, then six seats, then three seats. He gets a seat, and the three seaters in the middle. Between the window guy and the, and the, and the aisle guy. Nope. He comes to a seat. This big fat person sitting next to the window. And excuse me, and this heavy set person sitting on the aisle. And this guy's huge. Right? And he's like, this is not gonna work. Right? But there's no seats. So he sits himself down. If you can imagine, right? He's like, this and trying to read his newspaper and, and he's sitting on there. And Nebuch, the plane, this problem, that problem, not, nothing against Continental. I like Continental. It's very good. Don't, you know, I want to get into trouble. Um, but there were some problems in Newark. Not with the plane, Chas There were problems in Newark. I'm on, T, I'm on, you know, I have to be careful what I say. There's, I'll get a check from LL for this. But anyway, there's problems in Newark. We can't take off. He's sitting there for an hour squished. Now, now there's these two arm things that are down next to you, right? And he's like, he wants to put his arm down. But the guy in the window already put his arm there. And the guy in the aisle, he already put his arm there. So here he is, he has no place to put his arms. He's sitting there and it's hot and he's schwitzing like unbelievable. And finally the plane takes off and he's sitting there squished. And this, the person by the window is like, <laughs> leaning on him, drooling on him from the window. The one from the aisle has the New York Times in his face, right? The guy's mama, she's sweating, totally sweating, dripping, right? And he can't move. Anyway, how's he going to sit on a plane for 11 hours like this? He's freaking out. What is he going to do? So finally he says, ah, I can't do this. I'm getting claustrophobic. So he gets up. He says, excuse me, i got to go to the bathroom. He gets up, and he now walks to the back of the plane, and he's, he figures, I'm just going to stand here for 11 hours. I, I can't sit there, right? I'm going to just stand there for 11 hours. And people are going by. They're pushing him. They have to go to the bathroom. This one, that one. Stinks back there. It smells from the bathrooms. He's miserable. He goes, you know what? He sees a curtain all the way on the other end. He goes, what's going on up there? Let me go check it out, right? So he goes and he pushes the curtain to the side and he walks into first class. Business, it's called business first class. He walks into business first class. He looks around. He's never been there before. Seats are this wide. People are like, the, the seats all the way down. They're laying flat. 
they got the big screen in front of them. He said, he looks around, he sees that there's four seats empty. <clears throat> he doesn't know nothing. He sits himself down, spreads himself out. He's like, oh my gosh, I've never been in anything like this. Pushes the button, seat goes up, pushes the other button, goes back, pulls the, pushes another button, the seat fills up. It's like, it's not everything. Pulls out the movies, 64 different movies, puts on his earphones. He's at home, right? And he's sitting there. Half an hour goes by. He's beginning to fall asleep. All of a sudden, this lady starts pushing him. Stewardess, excuse me? He goes, yeah, what, what? She goes, can I see your boarding pass? He says, my boarding pass? Sure. Takes it out. It's row 43, you know, and he's sitting in row six in business class, you know? She goes, excuse me, sir, but you're in business class. You're in row 43. This is row six. You have to leave. He says, but I don't understand. Why do I have to leave? Why can't I sit here? She goes, well, have you ever gone business class? He goes, no. She goes, oh, well, then maybe you don't know, but to go business class, you have to pay $3,500 more than your ticket. He goes, $3,500 more? She goes, yep. He goes, well, if the people aren't here and the four seats are empty anyway, then you're not using them anyway. What does it bother you if I sit here? She says, you're right. But if we had, if we had a system like that, then everyone, everyone would be up here. You have to pay four and a half thousand dollars, and then you get the seat. He says, you know what? I'm not a poor guy. I, I didn't know about this business class. I'm not a poor guy. He says, you know what I'll do? Takes out of his wallet, three and a half thousand dollars. He says to the stewardess, here, you can have it. I want to sit here the rest of the flight. She goes, no, you don't understand. You can't come on the flight and then decide to buy the business class seat. You got to make reservations with a travel agent or with us. Then you got to pay for it up front. And then when you pay for it up front, then we'll give you the seat and you don't have to go through all this. He says, but I'm, but I, it's already three hours into the flight and I'm willing to pay full three hours already into the flight. I'll, I'm not asking you for any discount. I'll pay you full cash right now. Go to the pilot, give him the money and tell him that I want to sit here. Anyway, you have nobody in this seat. She says, there are rules and there are regulations. If you don't have a business class seat, you cannot sit here. And he's fighting. Meanwhile, of course, they get the steward. Eh, they schlep him. They put him back. And now, for the next nine hours, he has to sit between one snoring, drooling guy, another guy sticking his arm in his side the whole time. It was the most miserable trip that he ever had in his life. So what's the first thing he does when he gets off the plane? He calls up his travel agent. He says, never again. He says, you immediately, going back, I want to get a, a, a business class ticket. Right? Sounds like a nice story. Consequence. So we are all in this world. We all come to this world. And we're told there's a huge trip after this world. It's called Olam Haba. It's called the next world. But a lot of us are in denial. And a lot of us don't know about it even. We don't learn about it. We don't know about it. We come up to the next world. And they take the person's Nemach Neshama. His whole life he sinned. His whole life he did Averis. And they put him in Gehenim. And before they put him in Gehenim, the biggest Gehenim is, what does the person's Neshama get to see? Ganeiden. That's what it says. Because it's bad enough you have to go to Gehenim, but you have to see what you're missing. So, when he's standing there with the Malach, and the Malach says, that's Ganeiden, that's Gehenim, he says, there's a lot of seats in Ganeiden that are empty. 
No, I want to go to Gan Eden. And the Malach says, but you can't. You didn't buy a ticket for Gan Eden. But I'll pay now. All the money that I have, you know, all the real estate that I left in the other world and all that stuff, I'll, I'll give it to Tzedakah now. And the Malach says, it don't work like that in the next world. You got to buy the ticket before you come to the next world. But I know you would take a marshal. You got to buy the ticket before. It's too late, but, I, but, but I'll do it. It's too late. You didn't buy the ticket. You didn't earn it here. You didn't work here. You didn't do your mitzvahs. Up there, when you're uncomfortable on your flight, so to say, and you want to go to Ganeidan, and you say, but Hashem, does it bother you to put me in Ganeidan? You got a million chairs. What's the big deal? What does it cost you? They say, it doesn't work like that up here. You have to come up here with a ticket. You have to prepare. You have to make reservations. You got to pay to be in Ganeidan. What's the payment? Mice and Tyson. Good deeds and mitzvahs. That's the payment. Consequence. We have to understand consequence. You don't buy a first class ticket, you go coach. Once in a while, if you're very lucky, you get bumped up. <laughs> but that's very, very unusual. You can't depend on it, that's for sure. So, a person, that's das. Das? So says Mishle that if you want to fill up your rooms, you want to fill up your rooms with beautiful and unbelievable things in the next world? Your room in the next world, you want to fill it up? You got to use your head. You got to use your das. What's your das? Your das is consequence. Your das is knowing that Hashem created a world that has symmetry. And if you don't use your das, then things are not going to work out. And he brings down, he brings down very interesting stories, which, which, uh, which I've seen in my own life many times. He brings down a story like this. Um, he says that there was a great tzaddik. I don't. I forgot the name of the tzaddik. I should really quote the name of the tzaddik, who lived many years ago. And he had a, they had a shul, and the shul had a shamus, a sexton, the guy who who takes care of the shul. You know, he does all the little things. One of the parts of his payment for this guy for taking care of the shul was he had a goat. This guy was a peasant. He took care of the shul, but he had a goat. So he asked the shul if part of his payment for the goat for the for working in the shul is to let his goat eat the grass in the backyard of the shul. That's what he wanted. That's what he asked them. So they said, fine. We'll pay you a couple of rubles, and you can let your goat graze in the grass of the shul. One day, this rav, they were doing something in front of the shul. He couldn't come through the front of the shul. He came through the back of the shul, and he walked through the grass. This is a true story. He walked through the grass. When he, when he finished walking through the grass, he stood in front of the shul. He took off his shoes. Listen to this. He took off his shoes. He took the grass out of the heels of his shoe that was stuck into the heels of his shoe, gathered it all together, and put it on the grass that he walked through. So his Talmidim asked him, Rebbe, what are you doing? Taking off your shoes, pulling grass out of your heels. He said, what do you mean? The grass is a payment for this man that has goat keys to grass. If I take the grass, I'm stealing. It's his grass. It's not my grass. Now you're all thinking to myself, that's out of hand. That's crazy. That's not normal. I mean, we're not on that level. And the answer is that we're all on that level. What this tzaddik did is he used his das. He thought about, I walk through the grass. There's grass on my shoes. The grass belongs to this guy. I stole from him. So he took a lawn of grass, you understand? And he turned it into a lawn of das, of using your brains on the smallest Nothing 
a person can use his brains. He, he says a story, I don't know if it was a disciple or whatever it was, that, that, that the son of the disciple, or, or the Tamil disciple, he was nine years old, and he was in a car from B'nai Barak to Yushalayim. And the person who, who drove this kid says over the story, he was all of nine years old, and the kid had an orange, and he peeled the orange, and he ate the orange. And on the way to Yushalayim, he took the peels of the orange, and he had it in a plastic bag, and he had it on his lap the whole time. So the driver, Yushalmi, asked the kid, why don't you just fling, fling the orange peels out, you know, like we, uh, fling the orange peel out the window. So the kid looked at him like he was out of his mind. He said, fling the orange peels out of the window? He says, two problems. One, I'll be a mazik. Someone will slip on it and get hurt. And how could you, how could you litter? Now this is not, don't litter because you're going to get a 25 all fine. He says, it's Hashem's world. It's Hashem's world. You can't just throw things on Hashem's world. <laughs> so a nine-year-old boy had the das, the knowledge, to look at an orange peel and create a room from it. And say, an orange peel? You don't just throw that out the window. That's called das. Das is realization of everything in this world. What could be used... And what could be not used to differentiate, to split, to know the difference between good and evil, what's useful, what's not useful. When do you say Atochanan Omdal? When do you say Atochanan Tanu? Matzei Shabbat. When you say Havdallah in Shemana Esrei, where do you say it? In what bracha? You say it in the bracha of Atochanan Omdal. Why don't you say it in the bracha of Atochanan It was Kadosh Shabbos, now it's Chol. Why do you say it in Atochanan Omdal? Because to differentiate for a person to know the difference between one thing and another thing, you need to use your brains. You need to use knowledge. So to understand that this was Shabbos, and in one minute, in one minute, I can't light a cigarette. No, not a cigarette. I can't turn on the lights. And a minute later, I can't turn on the lights. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. We're living with this our whole life. Logically, someone from the outside, just doesn't make any sense. Nine o'clock. Don't you touch that. Nine one. Flip it. How, how, how does one minute make such a difference from total kedusha to total chol? How does that happen? So the so so the rabbanan said to to understand that we have to give them a bracha So bracha to Hashem Hashem, give me the knowledge to understand to differentiate between good and evil, and that's what we spoke about last week. That was the whole thing of Yaakov Avinu, that he was trying to sell him all this stuff was good, all this stuff was good. And the biggest dash is when a person's able to differentiate. When you know, when the Yetzirah is talking to you, do this, don't worry about it, it's a mitzvah, help that one, it's a mitzvah. And you really know deep down in your heart, it's an Avera. To be able to do Chol and Kodesh, to be able to do it, to, to make a split in it, you have to have das. A person has to have das. So, to know not to throw an orange peel out the window, you can be nine years old, you gotta think. Go down the West Side Highway and see how many people have no brains. Their whole lunch is on the side of the West Side Highway. I park at a red light. I'm like, for the last five years, I know everybody that had Coca-Cola bottles and beer bottles and Diet Coke bottles and bag potato chips and bottles. And... So that's das? That's consequence? When you're filthing up your own world, what are you, nuts? If a Martian was watching this, he'd say, what are you, crazy? It's your world. You're living. You're driving on the West Side Highway. Why are you throwing something out on the West Side Highway? Why are you, why are you walking down Flappish Avenue? Look at that. Look at Avenue J. Go tonight. Look at Avenue J. Before they clean it in the morning. Where's the dots of all these people that are walking in Avenue J and they're throwing stuff on the floor? And there's garbage cans. Because the person doesn't use his dots. Because the person's not interested in the symmetry of the world. Random! Take your bag. That's random. Who thinks random? What's not random? Like a dog. Dog's random. Goes to the bathroom. Fire hydrant. Middle of the block. Anywhere. Because, because he's a dog. He's not a human being. He's a dog. So there's no symmetry to a dog. 
But to a human being, he's made out of 600, he has chachma. Dog has no chachma whatsoever. Dog has no chachma. The dog sometimes, we don't know who's the, you know, who's the dog? The, the, who's leading who? The dog's leading the person or the person's leading the dog? How do you know that the dog's not leading the person? Anyone here know? How do you know the dog's not leading the person? The guy's holding onto the leash. The dog's ahead of him. Who's leading who? The dog's leading me? Or I'm controlling the dog? I'm controlling the dog. How do you know that? Because the dog, if you ever watch the dog, he continuously turns around to see if his master's still behind him. If he was leading you, he wouldn't turn around to see if you're behind him. So a dog, right? But sometimes, never, the master and the dog, you don't know who's what. You don't know which one's leading which. But a dog's an animal. A dog has no symmetry. A dog's random. You have to go to the bathroom? Corner Avenue J? Go to the bathroom, Corner Avenue J. I don't understand, because the human who's behind him, who's, who has symmetry and das, is cleaning up after the dog. I just don't understand that. I don't follow that. I don't follow a human being cleaning up after a dog. I don't get it. I don't know. Because I know the dog wouldn't clean up after us. So I don't know why we're cleaning up after the dog. Basically, I don't understand. I don't want to start, start with pet owners. But it looks pretty weird to me. It looks pretty weird to me. The guy's walking around with a shovel behind the dog. Where are you in life? Where are you in life? Can you imagine a Mike Shafinsky walking behind a dog with a shovel? Can you imagine a Godel? Can you imagine such a thing? Never. That's, that's, that's randomness. So there, there's today, and this is why we have a world of cancer and a world of, warm, of, of global warming, and a world of pollution, and a, and a world that's going totally haywire and crazy, because once you take the world out of its symmetry, once you take it out of the ten mamoras, it becomes a random world. In a random world, you can blow up a bus, you can shoot a guy, you can shoot a football player, you can shoot anyone you want, it doesn't make a difference, you can kill yourself, you can, you can be anorexic, you can, it's just random, Everything. it's not anyone's fault, it's the whole world became random, and that's what happened by the mamor. Why did Hashem have to destroy the world? Because it was mushchas. Mushchas means there's no symmetry to it anymore. Where does that come from? That comes from no consequence. Consequence is symmetry. Consequence is physics. Consequence means that one thing fits into the other. Once you step out of that, that's what Akash Boko created the world. You know, and, and, and I'm saying it to myself now. I'm talking to myself. I, I don't keep the diet that I'm supposed to. And I don't exercise. And I don't sleep as much as I'm supposed to. And you know what? It's going to affect me. And, and, and I've asked Gedolim, but, but, I'm, but I'm, what am I doing with my time? I'm teaching Torah. You're right, but you stepped out of the symmetry. You, 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 that's random. It's random for a human being to sleep three hours a night and to eat lunch, dipsy doodles, and a bar of chocolate. That's not, that's not, even though you're teaching Torah and everything, you're still in a world that it took us ten miles. Shem set it up in a certain way. When you step out of that way, you're destroying the world. That's, that's consequence. And that has a lot to do with this week's parasha. And I'm going to show you how it, how it has a lot to do with this week's pasha. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, very deep, very, very deep midrashim and very deep zayar and very deep chidah on this week's pasha with Yosef HaTzadik. I was thinking if I should discuss some of it, if I shouldn't dis- discuss some of it, I'm going to just, <laughs> all right. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna touch on it a little bit. A little bit. Now's a good time to turn off your, uh, oh, okay. Anyway, let's, let's talk about Yosef HaTzadik for a minute. Okay, I'm gonna talk two seconds. You don't really have to understand what I'm saying, but it's, it's important that you just get the main point. When Adam Arishon, when Adam Arishon ate from the Eitz Adas, so, for whatever reason, let's say he just got very angry at his wife. As he told Hashem, he blamed his wife. And he separated from Chava 
for a very long time. I believe it was 130 years. What? 430 years? No, 130 years, right. It was 130 years. During that time that he was separated from his wife, by accident, through the wife of the Satan, in a dream, he, by accident, an Avera happened. We'll say it that way. From that Avera, many Mazikim were created. Neshama, souls. From those souls, the human beings that lived before the Mabel came from those souls. And they were destroyed in the Mabel. They were came back because they needed a tikkun, because of the way that they came to this world. They needed a tikkun. And they came back in the Dar Haflaga, which once again, when they were building the citadel, the tower, the tower of Babel, to reach Hashem, to go to war with Hashem, for they were very powerful, for they came from Adam. Hashem had to destroy the destroy it, change their languages, and totally destroy it. These neshamas that came from this were very tamay, for they came through the wife of the satan. They came back a third time. Where did they come back? They came back to Mitzrayim. They came back into the Mitzrayim at the time of Yosef HaTzadik and Klai Yisrael that they were in Mitzrayim. I'm not getting into this. There's a big Zayar on this and there's a lot about Anchidah. And the bottom line is that Klai Yisrael had to come into Mitzrayim to be Misakain, these Nishamas that came from Adam through an accident through the wife of the Sata. That was the Malacha why Klai Yisrael had to go into Mitzrayim and, and do a Tikkun to take all these Nitzaytzais, these, these souls, out of Mitzrayim. Therefore, Mitzrayim, at the point when Klai Yisrael came into it, was the capital of Zima. Capital of the most immoral acts. The Rambam says, women and women, two women, many, many wives to one husband. All the immoral acts that are in America, that are in the world today, were in Mitzrayim at that time, because this, these neshamas came from that point. Yaakov, which was the Akev, represented the heel of Adam. Yosef, as it says in the Pasuk, was, the, was like, was Ela told us, let's, let's just go to the beginning of Yeshev. I'm not gonna keep you in this, uh, in the Kabbalah for too long. It says, Ela told us Yaakov, Yosef. Yosef was the Tolda of Yaakov, and Yosef had the power to be misakane to fix the hate of Adam. Therefore, Yosef, which is Mashiach, Yosef went down to Mitzrayim to fight the final fight to get this Tumah out of Mitzrayim. Potiphar's wife, who we're going to speak about in a few minutes, Potiphar's wife was the wife of the Satan. In Kabbalah, whatever it was. Her job was to make Yosef sin the same way as Adam. And if Yosef would sin the same way as Adam, the world would be destroyed forever. The world was destroyed by the Mabel. The world was destroyed sort of by the, by the Dara Flogo. They lost the Adea. And now, the war, the fight 
the greatest war ever. Yosef had Sadiq on one side, Potiphar's wife on the other side, Potiphar's wife representing the side that made Adam, that got Adam to do that Avera. Okay. The power of Yosef was that he came from Yaakov. Yaakov in Kabbalah is the heel of Adam. Okay, we don't have to go any further on that. Now, very nice, very nice Tvatara that Rabbi Bunin said to Shabbos. Just interesting, when, um, when Yosef was looking for his brothers, so it says that he got lost. And a man found him. He was lost in the field. And the man asked him, what do you need, what do you want? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Says Rashi, who is this Ish? Says Rashi, who is Gavriel? The Ish was the Malach Gavriel. Now, if you look in last week's Pasha, right, when Yaakov was alone, what does it say? It says that he met an Ish. And who was that Ish? Right? Says, says Rashi, there was the Satan. Right? So he asked the question, how do you know that over here by the, by the, by Yaakov Avinu, right, it was the Satan, it said Ish, and over here where it says Ish by Yosef, that's a Malach Gavriel. How do you know it wasn't the other way around? This is a beautiful pshat. And he says that, what does it say? It says, by Yavasar Yaakov Levado. Yaakov was left alone by Yavik Ish, and the Ish fought with him. It says when a Jew is alone by himself, and he's not taking care of other Jews, and he's not worried about other Jews, and he's just about himself, then the Malach, the Satan, will grab you and jump on you and fight with you. So therefore, when Yaakov was alone, Ish had to mean Satan. He says, but what happened by Yosef? The Ish asked Yosef, what are you doing? And he said, I'm here to see how my brothers are doing. Says Rashi, when a person is looking and walking around to see how his Jewish brothers are doing, it can't be the Satan. It has to be a Malach Gavriel. And that's how Rashi knew that the Ish, when he was alone, was the Satan. But a person who's looking, and he says, I'm looking to see how my brothers are doing. A Jew who's looking to see how his brothers are doing, that's what he's worried about. He knows he'll always have a Malach. He'll always have a Kershbach. will always send him a Malach to help him. Okay. Let's go to, we have a couple of minutes, let's go to this huge fight. This is one of my favorite Pashas. And this is what happens. Let's see what happens. The Yosef Hurad Mitzrayim, Yosef came down to Mitzrayim. By Igneo Paitifas for his parasatabachim, he bought him. We know from a Rashi in Mikates, where it says, Asnasmas Paitifera, Rashi says, that Paitifa bought Yosef for himself. That he was weird. Okay, we're going to use a nice clean word. That Paitifa was weird and he liked guys. That's a Rashi. Rashi says it very clearly. And therefore, by Ikneu Paitifas Prisparo, he bought him for himself. Yes, it was very, very beautiful. Okay. And he was very Matzliach. And his master saw that Hashem was with him. And he saw that everything he did, he was Matzliach. Okay. Let's go on. He left everything in Yosef's hands. By Yehi Yosef, Yifei Toyava, Yifei Mara. The Pasuk tells us he was gorgeous. He was very, very good looking. Okay. Then the pastor says, And after this, after this, the wife of Potifa lifted up her eyes, Oh Yosef, to Yosef, by time of Shikhla Imi, she said, Lie with me. 
asked the Mepharshim, what's Achrei Advan? What happened? And it happened after these things happened. What happened? So if you look in the Pasuk before, it says, So Rashi says that Yosef was looking in the mirror, he was combing his hair, he was getting dressed as a, you know, to look really good. So when a person, when a Jewish boy, when a person does that, what is it going to lead to? It's going to lead to immorality. So the Pasuk tells us he was very, very good looking. What happened right after that? She decided, she asked him, Sheikh Imi, to lay with me, says in Bafashim, in this world, and if you lay with me in this world, then you'll lay with me in the next world. This was not Stam Potifa's wife. She wasn't Stam. Says the next, says the next Pasuk, Vayimo'en, my favorite Vatayra, and he refused. He refused her. He said, What are you talking about? My master, right? He left me responsibility on the whole house. There's no one greater than me in this house. He he didn't keep anything from me. I'm allowed to have everything. Except for you. Don't talk to the woman. That's his biggest mistake. Chava made the mistake. Don't talk to the snake. Started giving him a dvatoiris. You can't touch the tree and the tree. Who asked you for dvatoiris? Yosef Atzalik, who asked you for dvatoiris? Batimon, you refused her. You said, get out of here. I'm a Jewish kid. What are you talking to me for? Oh, that's what he said, right? But then he went the whole speech. Oh, the master gave me everything. I'm the greatest in the house. And he just told me, I can't have you. Why? Because you're his wife. So this is such a lesson for you boys. For every man, for every guy. Why are you talking to her? He did the same thing Chava did. Chava came in and said, and you can't touch the tree. So the Sultan said, oh, I can't touch the tree? You're giving me a reason I can't touch the tree? He pushed her into the tree. She didn't die. She fell. Adam fell. We all fell. The whole world fell. Have a nice day. What was Yosef's mistake here? He, why you mind? He refused. So get out of here. If someone sends you a text message and you tell her, I don't want to talk to you again. Don't, but I don't want to talk to you, but you understand I can't because that, 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 Hello? If you get something on your computer that's not clean, make sure that they can't get to you again. What did he tell her? He said to her, listen, you know why, you know why I can't, you know why I can't be with you? Because at Ishto, you're his wife. So the Medrash says, she turned around to him, and she said, oh, you can't sleep with me, you can't be with me, because I'm his wife? I'm not his wife! Really? No. He's weird. He's not, he's not with women. And in the non-Jewish world, how do you consummate a, a, a marriage? Not with Kedushin, not with a, a ring. And not with Mormon and not with Shtar, only by consummating it physically. So the minute Yosef said, I have a reason that I can't be with you. I can't be with you because you're his wife. She said, oh, that's the reason? Well, if that's the reason, your reason's gone. Let's go. Because there was no consummation of our marriage. He never was with me physically. So now Yosef was stuck. Because the reason he gave, he just got thrown into his face. And that's what happens to so many guys. They tell that when, they, when the Avera comes to them, I can't, I can't, because of this and this reason. And then the person blows the reason out. Now you're stuck. Now you look stupid. I can't go with a non-Jewish girl. Oh, my mother's Jewish. Uh-oh. 
Now what are you going to say? What are you giving reasons? By your mind, you refused. You said no. Get out. Run for your life. No, you're married. Yeah. So she blew his reason right out the door. Then he said, then he said, I'll give you another reason. I don't want to sin to God. She said, oh, that's your other reason? You're Yosef. Your father taught you how to read stars, didn't he? Yes, Yosef was very good at reading stars. She said, come outside. Let's see what God wants. God writes what he wants in the stars. Let's look at the stars. I'm telling you a medrash. So they went out to look at the stars. And the stars said that from her and Yosef, her stars, his stars will be together and from them will come Tzadikim. And Yosef knew how to read. And Yosef read the stars and she said, okay, so now I just blew you two reasons out the door. First reason is that he's, it's my wife, that, that I'm, her, I'm his wife, I'm not his wife. Second reason, your God doesn't like it, then why did your God write in the stars that from us are going to come holy children? So the minute Yosef gives reasons, the one minute you give reasons, your reasons are going to be taken and thrown apart, you're done. He should have said, it's wrong, and have a good day, I'm out of here. He didn't say that. Now what was she talking about? What was she looking in the stars? She was right. Because her daughter, Asnaf Bas Puitifera, was going to marry Yosef, and from them was going to come two very holy children, Ephraim and Manasha. So she saw that from her and Yosef are going to come holy children. Yeah, not from her herself, but from her daughter, Asnas, her adopted daughter. So you can read the stars, but you have to know the translation behind what you're reading. And that you need Ruch HaKodesh for. So when you go to astrologer, a star, a star reader, or a horoscope, sometimes they can read it correctly, but the translation of it, that belongs to God. Just like Paro looked at the stars, and he saw that the stars were all red, and there was blood, and he said, good, let them leave Mitzrayim. They're all going to die in the desert. He read it wrong. The blood that they saw in the star was the Damila. They read it right. There's going, to be blood in, there's going to be blood in the desert, but they read where the blood's coming from. They read it wrong. So here he is. He's stuck now. Yosef HaTzadik stuck. His two reasons just got blown out of the water. So let's go on. So what happens? So she didn't leave him alone because she said, you gave me two reasons, and, and they're not real reasons. But he kedavah is Yosef yoyim yoyim. She called him every single day. Every day, text messages and phone calls and messages and emails and hot emails and not emails. And they made him crazy. His raspberry, blackberry, every five seconds she was sending him another email. She didn't leave him alone. Imagine. Right? Below shama eleha. He did not listen to her. Lishkov etzelios ima, to lay next to her, to be with her. He said, I don't want to do this. Vayika and then came the day, because the bottom line is he still didn't blow out her, he gave her reasons, and he didn't, he didn't prove that his reasons were good. So, so he came that day, there was nobody there, it was Paro's birthday, and she was home alone. She said she was six as the Medrash, and he was home alone. There was nobody there. But she grabbed onto his clothing, Lema, she said, She said, lay with me again. He left his clothing in her hand. And he ran out. We have to know what part of his body she grabbed, his clothing, who cares, his yarmulke, his, his, his slippers, who cares what she grabbed? Why is the Torah telling us this? So let me explain to you this whole war that went on here. And I'll tell you what the Medrash says, it's amazing. Now we know that he saw the Dikunu Shalaviv. Rashi says, what stopped him? That he saw, right? He saw his father's, his father's picture, right? Okay. Says Rashi, I'll read it to you. 
he saw the picture of his father. What does that mean? He was about to do an Avera, he opened his wallet, and there was a picture from his father? He said, uh-oh, I'm not doing this Avera? Who means for a picture? You tell me she had a picture of his father on the wall? I don't think so. So, so what, what's going on over here? It's very beautiful. In this week's parasha, it says twice, Vayimayim. He refused. The first time it says by Yaakov, that when they came to Yaakov and they showed him the clothing, and they said, <coughs> they said, it has blood on it. Right? They said, Taraf, Taraf, Yosef, he said. Yosef, they didn't tell him that Yosef was dead. They just brought him the, the, the Xenus passim with all the blood on it, and he on his own said, Taraf, Taraf, Yosef, my son got ripped apart. By Yikra Yaakov, Simlesov, and he ripped his clothing and he was sat in Avelis. By Yaakov, Kobana, Vachobanoitzel, Lenachmai, his children came to ease his pain, to be Menachem, Avo, he said, I refuse to be consoled. We're not allowed to do that as Jews. Seven days, he said, Shiva. And then you have to be consoled. He said, I refuse to be consoled. What do you mean, why do you refuse to be consoled? So it says that Yaakov said, listen carefully, this is very important, this is in all our DNA. Yaakov said like this, listen. Yosef, look at the first passage, look at the second passage of what it says. It says, Eila told us Yaakov, Yosef. Yosef was his whole hope for the future. Every one of us is our hope for our parents and our grandparents and for God. We are the future. Every person in this room is the future. And there's huge hope for us. And Yaakov said, until you bring me a body, until I see Yosef's dead body, I put too much into this. There's too much potential that this boy should be dead. So you brought me his coat, and I see this blood on it, and it's ripped. Until I see a body, don't even come here and try to console me. I will not be consoled. Because I know that it's possible that my son is still alive. I believe in my son. I don't give up on my son. Now, on this Vayimoyim, where Yosef says, I refuse, there's a Shalshelas. When they lay it, in the Torah, the person says, Vayimoyim, Shalshelas is a chain. Where is this Vayimoyim? Where is this chain connected to? So we connect the two Vayimoyims. Yosef's Vayimoyim, I refuse to Yaakov's I refuse. What was Yaakov's I refuse? I refuse to give up until I see a dead body on the potential of my child. Yosef connected to that by Yimarin, and Yosef at the end, in the last second, said, what am I doing? I'm here with a non-Jewish woman. She's married. What am I doing? This can't be right. Not only that, what about Hakar Satov, which was something Yaakov told all his children? This man... She's not married. She's right. It, it, the marriage wasn't consummated. But the man is my boss. And the man trusts me. He gave me the keys to the whole house. How can I do this to him? She's right. In law, in court, they can't do anything to me. In Shemayim, maybe they, they also can't do anything to me. But in front of Hashem, where's my car? This man is my boss. This man gave me the job. This man trusts me. This man loves me. Man, give me the keys to everything, and then I'm going to go mess around with his wife. I refuse. Vayimain, I refuse to end my potential by doing this avera. And 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 the Zayar says, had he done this avera, he would have ended the potential of the world. We wouldn't be here anymore. Mashiach ben Yosef would have never been born. Without Mashiach ben Yosef, there's no Mashiach ben David. So so the wife of the Sultan was trying to kill, do this avera. And I kill Mashiach ben Yosef. Mashiach ben Yosef is dead. There's no Mashiach ben David. There's no Klai Yisrael. We're done. We're finished. It's over. So where did Yosef get this 
power to refuse. I refuse to do Savera. Because my father's Yaakov. And if my father doesn't give up on me, how can I give up on me? If my Rebbe doesn't give up on me, how can I give up on me? And finally, the most important one, if Hashem, boys, doesn't give up on you, then how can you give up on you? And the last second, the last second, says the Medrash, he got up and he ran. But she grabbed him. She grabbed his chitzonius. She grabbed his clothing. What got him into this whole thing? His chitzonius. He was busy in the mirror. I'm beautiful. You know how beautiful he was? He was so beautiful, the Medrash says, that she was sick. From the day he was bought, she saw him, she was sick. And she would go out and tell her friends that there's this Jewish boy, he is so gorgeous that I can't have him, makes me sick. And they laughed at her. Jewish boy? Come on. Who could be that beautiful? She was, according to the Zayar, she was the other side. So the other side can make themselves as beautiful as they want. So you can imagine. She was the ultimate beautiful woman in the world. Right? And what are you getting sick over a Jewish boy? So she said, no problem. Look in the Mamoyas. She took her friends and she made a circle and she put him in the middle. And she took a piece of iron and she tied it and she put it under his neck that fought, he was in irons that he had to look at her. And he had to look at them. He had no choice. He couldn't bend his neck. And it says she gave each one a knife and an esrig. That's what they used to eat when it was hot. And they all sat there and they cut the, the tops of their fingers off. There was such an awe. I'll show it to you in the Medrash. Such an awe of his beauty that they, was, they thought they were cutting the esrig. They were cutting their fingers and they didn't realize it. And she went around and she said, look at you. You all cut your finger top, fingertips off. And you're complaining that I'm sick? Look at all of you. And I said this a long time ago. It's amazing. Because of, and I'm not going to get into this, because of what happened, that Yosef scratched the floor because, because the, 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 the war between him and her was so huge. The Yitzhahara was so unbelievable that he had to take his fingers and dig it into the ground not to do the Avera. And when he scratched the floor... There was an event, whatever happened, and because of what happened, the, the Asura Herugen Malchus, the ten great Tzadikim, had to be killed. That's why they were killed. And that's why the whole thing with that whole story is why you, when he said you sold your brother and you were never paid, it was all to fix this what happened. And what happened by Rishmol, by Rishmol Kohen Gadol, by Rishmol Kohen Gadol, the Gemara says was so beautiful, Rishmol Kohen Gadol was so beautiful, we don't understand what this means, that the Gemara says that the Malachim came down, and when they looked at Rishmol, they said, he looks like the Shechina. Do you know what kind of beauty that is? He's one-tenth or one part of the Shechina. Okay, no one can understand what that means. So beautiful that he looks like God. And what happened to Yishmael, Kohen Gadol? The daughter of the terrible king saw him and said how beautiful he is. And she said, Dad, I want you to keep him alive. I want him for me. I never saw such a beautiful man in my life. And the king said, no, he's a Jew, I can't keep him alive, but I'll skin his, his face, and I'll skin his head, and we'll stuff it, and you'll have it on your mantle, you can look at his beauty for the rest of your life. And the Malachim screamed, the Malachim screamed, this is the reward for Tyra, we're going to destroy the whole world, and Hashem said, if I hear one more word from you, I will destroy the whole world. And you know what the Sefer Gugulim, you know what Rav Chaim Vital says on this? You want to jump out of your chairs tonight? Rav Chaim Vital says, Who was Rabbi Shmuel Kohen Gadol? Zay Yosef! Rabbi Shmuel Kohen Gadol was a Gilgal of Yosef at Tzadik. That's why he was so beautiful. Yosef was the most beautiful man ever in the world. Rabbi Shmuel Kohen Gadol looked like Yosef. 
He was the Gilgal of Yosef HaTzadik. Who was his princess? Who was his princess who fell in love with him on the first look? Ze'eshet Poitifa. This is the Gilgal of the wife of Poitifa in this parasha. Ask the Zoya HaKadosh, of Chaim Vital. So why did he deserve such a punishment? That the face, his face was skinned off alive. We don't even imagine such a thing. And stuffed. Where did she have a right to look, to, where did she have a right to do this to him? You know what Desire says? That when she put the metal on his, under his neck, because she forced him to look at her, for one second, Yosef HaTzadik got enjoyment from what he saw. One second. And because of that, he had to come back, and his whole face, his whole beauty, had to be peeled away, and she had a right, the other side, the mother of the, the, the wife of the Sultan, she had a right to look at him forever, because he stared at her for one second, Habata, for one second he looked at her. And he had an enjoyment from what he saw. For that, he had to come back and be have his face peeled, and she could see him forever, and she could look at him forever. Yeah? Can you imagine when you look at something you're not supposed to? What the ticket is for you? What you need to do? This is Yosef Atzadik. She forced him. He didn't go on the internet with his password to look at something he wasn't supposed to. He didn't buy a magazine that he wasn't supposed to. He didn't turn around every corner and watch the girl walk by twice, three times, five times. He was forced. One second. Boom. His face had to be peeled and had to be stuffed so that she could, because she won for that one second. You hear the payment, the consequence. You hear the consequence. You hear the order of the world. It's not random. You look at a girl. It's not a random thing. Yeah, big deal. Random, Rabbi. I just looked. There's nothing random in this world. It's ten mamoras. It's built. And if you pull one of those blocks out, you got to put it back, man. And the consequence is you got to put it back. No one else is going to pull it back. Because the Risham, the people who do Averis, says the Mishnah, Hashem did it in ten different ways, because when you take out a block, you're going to have to pay for it. You're going to have to put back a block. But a tzaddik who helps put back a block, Hashem says, I'm going to repay you. For every block you put back. The first, the second, the third, till the tenth step. For every step that you help in my world, for every person that you make smile, for every honey, for every poor person you give tzedakah to, for everyone that you, give, you say hello to, for everyone you say thank you to, for everyone you get to put on tefillin, that's one step I owe you to the Kodesh Baruch Hu. That's one of the ten steps I owe you. You're putting the world back into symmetry. And the Russia who takes the world out of symmetry, who makes the world random, he's going to pay a very, very big price. Yosef HaTzadik didn't do Tzavera, would have ended the world. Would have ended the world as we know it. Didn't refuse. Why did he refuse? Because he refused the consequence, and the consequence was that he would lose his total potential. And where did that come from? That came from Yaakov Avinu. And every single person in this world, every single person in this room, has to refuse, when the Yitzhahara comes to him, to say, I refuse by your mind, I refuse, you are not taking my potential away from me. You are not destroying me, because I understand, I have das, I have knowledge, and I have understanding, that if I do this Avera, I'm causing randomness in this world. And that's why when Jews do Averas, there are typhoons, and hurricanes, and earthquakes, and forest fires, and cancer, and hunger, and no rain in the world. Because we are the ones from the ten mamores. There's nothing random in the world. We are the ones that cause the consequence in the world. And that was Yosef HaTzadik. And I have to tell you, that the Medrash ends, and says that at the last second before they were going to do the Avera together, there was an Avoy Zara at the end of her bed. And she got up, and she took a sheet, and she covered the Avodah Zarah. 
And Yosef HaTzadik said to her, what are you doing? You're about to do the, the, such a big sin, what are you doing? She said, I don't want my avoid desire to see what we're doing. You hear? You hear how far draped? How a person doesn't understand consequence? You're doing it in a very, but the avoid desire shouldn't see it. But you're doing it. You're still doing it. So if you're so scared, and you believe in this idol, and you believe in this God, don't do it! No, 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 no. The day it stops... The dot stops. Oh, our dot stops. When the guy throws his food out of his window with his aluminum foil and everything, his day has stopped. Yes, he doesn't go to a fire hydrant like a dog. Right? That much day he has. But his day has to stop. It's uh, food. I can throw food out. An orange peel? Big deal. Someone will slip on it? Who cares? His day stops. So Yosef Atzadik, the measure says, no, you did. So he turned to her and he said, I'm out of here. She said, why? He said, I love this. He says, because I don't have a sheet big enough to cover God. Mm-hmm. Show it to you in the Medrash. That's what he answered her. Your God, you can cover with a sheet. My God's too big. And he ran for his life. But what she did, what she did, is what happened this past week's Fasha. What did he do? What did the Malach who fought with Yaakov did? He dislocated the symmetry of Yaakov. He wanted, why didn't he punch him in the eye? Why didn't he punch him in the nose? Break his nose. Why did he break his nose? Because dislocation, when you dislocate something from the body, the symmetrical, the body is no longer symmetrical. When you take, when you break someone's nose, your body's still symmetrical. When you dislocate your shoulder blade or your thigh, then your body's no more symmetrical. Then you sort of, your thigh or your shoulder, whoever, you should never have it, but whoever has a dislocated shoulder, your arm becomes very random. It's no longer connected. Your brain says move, and the arm says no, it doesn't move. It's just hanging there. It's dislocated. So the Satan in last week's parsha said, you understand consequence, symmetry. I'm going to knock the symmetry out of you. Dislocation breaks symmetry. And where am I going to dislocate you? In your children. In this week's parsha, the same fight between this terrible Satan, this terrible woman, and Yosef HaTzadik, she also wasn't going to let him just get away. So what did she grab? She grabbed his clothing. She grabbed, she grabbed onto his clothing. She said, you're a guy that's worried about what your car looks like? You're a guy that's worried about what your hair looks like? You're about how you look in the mirror? So that part of you I can grab on. I can't grab onto your panemius. Your panemius is pure. But your chitzanius is a little weak. So she grabbed onto his clothing. And she said, I'm going to use that. Your beauty, your beautiful guy. You're a handsome guy. You're a cool guy. I'm going to use that to get you. And he ran. And he left it in her hands. And to this day, to this day, she has power on Achitzanius. And she runs the world of Achitzanius, of style. How a woman should dress, how a guy should dress or not dress, or not wear any clothing. She controls the style of the world that we lived in. Because... Yosef was weak in his chitzainius. He was busy on how he looked, and he was busy on what his hair looked like. So she, she, she had the inner fight with him. Let's do the Aveira. Lay with me. Be with me. She lost that fight. He walked away. But she said, you're not walking away clean. I'm still going to hold on to your chitzainius. And that's what she held on. And what happened? When she realized that she has 2008, the Jewish people by their chitzainis, by what their house looks like and their car looks like, and we're willing to cheat, not aschas for sham, but people are willing to cheat and to steal just to look like the Joneses and have the Mercedes and have the BMW and have this and have that. She held on to that part. She said, I didn't get you, but I got your clothing. I got your outward, your, your chitzainis. And she held on to it. But Yonas she ran outside. 
And what did she say? Oh. Heavy lano ish ivri letzachik banu. We brought a Jew to the house. A Jew came to the house. He came to attack me, to rape me, to play with me. Lishkav imi, to be with me. The Ekrabba called Gadol. She began to scream. She started screaming. What happened? What happened? I don't understand. If we go a few psukim before, you see anywhere that Yosef's called an Ivri? Yosef's never called an Ivri. She called him Yosef. Right? Where's Ivri come in here? All of a sudden she's calling him Jew. That's the Eight Sahara. That's the Sata. And a lot of guys know exactly what I'm talking about in this room. Yeah, they're our friends. Sure, when you want to be like them, you're the body, the non-Jews, yeah. You're the friends, the non-Jewish girl, the non-Jewish girl, at work, in all these places. Yeah, but when they realize they can't get you, and when they realize you're different, all of a sudden you're in every. All of a sudden she's screaming, Jew boy! Hello? I was just, you were just saying sweet things to me. All day long, you were texting me, come on, come on, a whole day, nice things, Hallmark cards, who knows what she sent in, right? Never said the word Jew. All of a sudden he says, no! And then you see what they really think of you. Then you find out what they really think of you. And the Torah tells it to us, and we don't learn nothing. We want to assimilate, we want to look like them, we want their culture and their music and everything, we want to be like them. And as long as you like them, they love you. But the minute you want to run away from them, and you want to be different? Ish Ivri, you're a Jew. And what do I want to do to a Jew? Rape! Throw him in jail! Kill him! The same woman. The sugar nut. A second ago, you were, you, were, you, were, you, were, you were trying to get him to do every other in the world. A second later, she's calling him the dirty Jew. He tried to kill me. He tried to do this to me. Put him in prison. The Torah is telling us. These are not stories. The Torah is telling us, wake up. Today, they had this big Tuesday meeting with all the Arabs, with, all the, uh, with one Jewish guy, right? So the main point that's bothering them... It's to call Israel a Jewish state. Yeah. President of the United States, with the Secretary of State, Medallah, the Chevra, all United States, we're all into the politics of the United States. We're safe, right? They're sitting there where the Arabs are saying, you, you can't call it Israel the Jewish state. It's not a Jewish state. The minute you use the word Jew, that's it. We're not your friends anymore. You want to be different? You want to be a Jewish state? No, you can be a country, Israel. You want to be Jewish? No. I... Their country is called the United Arab Emigrates, whatever it's called. Nobody has a problem. What do you mean? I can't go there because it's called Arab. Their whole complaint is if it's called the Jewish state, then, then Arabs won't be able to come to Israel. Right. But if it's an Arab, the Arab immigrate, whatever, Saudi Arabia, well, that's not a problem. But the minute you say Jews, it's a problem. Says the Torah, sure, when they want something from you, then everything is good. The minute you don't give them what they want, you'll find out that you're just an Ish Ivri. You're just a Jew that they want to throw into jail. That's all. I'll tell you a story. I'll end with the story very fast. I've said it before. I have two stories. I have my lawyer story, and I have the story with the guy who's going to marry the non-Jew with the, where the rabbi set him up. Remember that story where the rabbi set him up in the house with all the cousins? Okay. So, he wants that story. Okay. So, this is a true story. There was this guy going out with a non-Jewish girl, and... Wherever they went to take him to break it up, they couldn't get to him. So the final stop was a rabbi. They had was one rabbi, and, the, and they made a deal. They said, if this, we told the boy, if you go to this rabbi, and you still want to marry the non-Jewish girl, we'll let you. His parents told him. 
So there's a lot of pressure on this rabbi to break this up because if he doesn't break it up, he's going to marry this non-Jewish girl. This rabbi was brilliant. When I heard the story, I was freaking out. He was brilliant. So this guy comes and he said, you know, he's giving me all the reasons. She, yeah, she wants to be Jewish. She knows how to make chicken soup. So she's not Jewish. Da, 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 da. All kinds of different stories. We'll do. We'll work it out in five years. You know, we'll have a Christmas tree with a Hanukkah bush. We'll put it together. We'll make it out. You know, Gantz and Mises, right? With all the stories. So he sits down and the rabbi says, listen. He says, okay, rabbi, let me hear all your, all your stuff. Why you can't marry and all the, and Aveira and Hashem hates it. Give me all your stories. He says, no, I have no stories. Give me your muster. Your criticism. I have no criticism. You're not going to break open a book? I'm not breaking open a book. So, 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 so what do you want from me? So I'll tell you what I want you to do. When are you getting married? He says, in two months. He says, okay. In two weeks, I want you to make a party. Look on the west side of this guy. I want you to make a party in your house. I want you to invite, it's pre-party, pre-marriage party. I want you to invite none of your family, nobody. I want you to invite her, the kala, whatever, she, the bride. And I want you to invite every one of her family members to come to this party that you're throwing. I want you to buy at least $2,000 worth of alcohol. I want Johnny Walker Blue... I want all the good stuff, 18-year-old, 25-year-old uh, scotch, the stuff that you can't read, you can't spell, you know, all that Irish stuff that you can't spell, must be good, right? All the good stuff, very little food, but a lot of liquor. Cold beer in the freezer, I, I, get the stuff out, I want, you to, I want you to party. He's looking at this rabbi, I'm coming here, I'm expecting him to chumish, halacha, musr. He's telling me to make a party, with no problem. He says, this is great. My parents said... That if, you know, if, if this rabbi doesn't get me to do it, to change, then I can marry her. He's dancing around. Okay. Comes the night of the party. They're all happy. He invites his in-laws with his uncles, with, uh, with the kala, with everybody. No Jews, just him. He's the only Jewish guy. He invites them in. They're Irish, they're Italian, all, from all types of different backgrounds. And they start drinking. And they know how to drink. And they're drinking. And they're getting blitzed. And now they're really drunk. And one guy looks at him and says, you're Jewish, aren't you? It's like, yeah. So, you know, Hitler should have killed all of you. <laughs> He's like, excuse me? Yeah, Hitler should have killed all of you. You guys, you cheat. You're misers. Control the whole world. And he's just cursing this boy out. And he's like, I don't like this uncle. So he goes to the other room. They're also blitzed. They're like, oh, the Jew is here. Jew, 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 Jew. Hitler should have killed all of you guys. And you know what? The guys that got away from Hitler, the Muslims will take care of you guys. He's like, what? To make a long story short, the party's going on for three, four hours, and all he's getting is cursed out by every single guy that are blitz. And they're saying, that, you know, I had a Jewish friend, he cheated me, and the Jews caught slavery, and they're coming up with the stuff that we're getting blamed for. But you never heard all the vile and the poison and everything that was in them. They're drinking, bringing the alcohol, how come the secrets? Finally, she's blitzed. Now, he's not allowed to drink. That was the rule. He wasn't allowed to drink. She's blitzed. Now, her whole family is cursing out the Jews, and the Jewish lawyer, and the Jewish accountant, and, 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 and Israel, and we caused all the wars, and 9-11, and everything's our fault, and the whole family's down on this guy. And, of course, she's, <laughs> she's drunk. She's like, I don't even know why I thought about marrying you. You're, you're, you're there right. They should have all, you should have all been in the gas chamber. And he says, now I understand how smart the rabbi was. It's a true story. And he slowly but surely sends them all out. And he calls up the rabbi and he says, thank you very much. I'll get myself a Jewish girl who appreciates who I am. And Kachoya, he walked away from her. That's the sweet Pasha. I love you. Be with me. You're gorgeous. All the beautiful things. But the minute he said no, the minute by your mind, the minute he looked at the consequence, the minute he realized 
that I'm throwing away my whole life here. I'm also taking the world out of its perfection of the way Hashem created it. I should not be doing this. I'm doing something random. Random is belidas. Random is, no, is a, a lack of knowledge. There's a person that has no knowledge. A person who has knowledge can build from the smallest thing. You can walk out of Landau's, go over to one of the Russian ladies that are sitting there and give them a dollar and say, you know, every day that I see you when I leave, I feel good. Because you're always here. And you're always smiling. Even though you're in such a situation, you give me the eye. Sometimes I have bad days. And you're sitting here smiling. Of course I'm going to be smiling. You just took a random moment, so to say, with this woman sitting there, and you made a whole life. You made a whole life. I, I enjoy doing that. I do this. I do this. I, I wish I did it for the mitzvah. I just enjoyed making people happy. And there's like this one woman. She's a twin to the woman that's, that collects by Chapanash. And she stands by Landau. And I'm always like, who are you? Which one? Which one are you? Are you the one from there? Or you the one from here? Or you guys switch? And she's like, you're so funny. And you're... She's sitting collecting. She's sitting collecting a whole day. And I'm making her laugh. So, so Das, using your knowledge to make someone laugh, right? Yeah, you can make jokes. Stupid jokes at a bar where everyone's falling down, <laughs> right? Well, you can make jokes. Jokes were created for a reason. And you can make somebody happy. And you can make somebody smile. And you can say good morning. And you can say shalom aleichem. And, and like Rabbi Feifel said, the person who doesn't say good morning is a random person. He doesn't understand the building blocks of a day. There's blocks in a day. The first block of the day is modani. The next block is ashiyatza. The next block is shalom aleichem. The next block is good morning. Or whatever it is in Davin, there's blocks. Hashem set up your day. Asara Mamaras, there's blocks. And when you miss something in that day, all of a sudden one plus one equals five, seven, nine, becomes a random world and you have cancer and diseases, young children dying, divorces, and the whole world becomes random and no one's getting along. Fathers are not getting along with their children. Children are not going to get their fathers. And if you look at the world today, it's a totally random world. And there's no symmetry whatsoever. So it's our job to use our dust, use our knowledge, to put this world back into symmetry and to make this world work. And if you don't think you can, and there are guys sitting here who don't think, ach, I can't do it, think about Yosef HaTzadik. Vayimoyin. He refused, he refused to give up on someone who believes in him. Every person in this world has to know that God believes in you. Because if he didn't believe in you, you'd be dead. Because Hashem doesn't need you in this world to do the wrong thing. If Hashem believed that anyone in this room, from now till the end of his life, is going to sin, he will take you out of here so fast. He doesn't want you to sin. Because Hashem believes, and Hashem's belief is knowledge, and we're not going to get into the whole Bechira story, but because Hashem knows and believes that everyone, no matter how much you have sinned, and no matter how bad you are, that you could do tshuva, and you could change, therefore you are alive. Therefore anyone in this room who's not dead, anyone that's sitting here who's not dead, there are a few guys that I've seen over the tonight's show that they probably are dead. We'll try to wake them up and see if they wake up. I'm not sure if they're alive or not. But if you're not dead and you're really alive, that means that God believes that you can change. If he, if he knew you couldn't change, you're done. You're out of here. So that means everyone in this room can still change. So therefore, everyone in this room has to say, Vayimoy. My name's Maisha. Vayimoy and Maisha. My name's Chaim. Vayimoy and Chaim. I refuse. I refuse to give up. I'm not giving up on myself. Shashelas, Takosh Baruchu. If God doesn't give up on me, then I'm not giving up on me. And then if you can say by your mind, if a person refuses and you can dip into that and you can understand consequence, then your talk can help build the symmetry back of this world and stop the randomness. And the final Mashiach, when Mashiach comes, what is the world when Mashiach comes? Symmetrical. The world, the random world is the world that we live in today. The world of Mashiach is a total symmetrical world. There's no more sickness. 
and there's no more disease, doesn't exist anymore, and there's no more poverty, and there's no more young children dying, and there's no more shalom bias problems, and there's no more machlokas. It's a world of perfect symmetry. There's no randomness. Nobody, when Mashiach comes, is going to think of throwing their orange peel out the window. Because it just doesn't make sense. Because they're using their das, it'll be a dar deya, a dar of das. May we all have a little bit das in our head to understand that we have the power to do that asar mamaras, to build back this world. And each one of us who takes this, this, this random world and makes it symmetrical, we are partners with HaKash Baruch Hu in building, in, in building the base on Migdash and bringing Mashiach You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.